Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We're going to read Psalm 42 and then Psalm 43. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your ways have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God and to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's word for his people this morning. So if you're with three years old or up to fifth grade, we'd love for you to head on. If you'd like to, our Grace Kids Sunday morning. So this is part two from last week when we got together and we began last week with a little graph. So hopefully you guys won't fall asleep when we show this graph again, but it was really to illustrate what does it look like to grow in the Christian life? And, uh, and sometimes we get this kind of thought that Christian growth is just this kind of warm and fuzzy experience that we get to know God each and every day of our life and it's just always on the trajectory of up. And, uh, and then you come to realize that it really doesn't look like that at all most of the time, right? It's more like the reality of this red graph up here with lots of peaks and valleys. Uh, For myself, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. None of my immediate family are followers of Jesus and became a Christian right before I went to college. And I had little to no understanding of the Bible. And honestly, for the first couple years, my Christian growth looked more like the blue and it just felt like it was up and up and up. Now, I don't think my college roommate would have said it like that. Uh, I was pretty prideful and arrogant and had a lot of rough edges uh, to be uh, massaged down by God and his grace. Uh, But it felt like that a lot. Everything in the Bible was new and exciting. But I still remember Those times when I first began to wake up in the morning after a couple years of just this upward trajectory where I didn't want to read my Bible. And when I read it, I'm like, I've read this before. 
I've heard this before. This doesn't sound very exciting to me. It would come in the songs and worship and all, all these other things that would talk about Christ's love just felt a little more dull to me. And it became really disorienting. What's wrong with me? I used to love reading the Bible, and now it feels dry to me this morning. I used, and I started hitting these seasons, and I began to think, what's wrong with me, right? Well, I want us to talk about those valleys that we find ourselves in. And we've been talking over the past couple months, and if you've been with us, about our Grace for the City vision and where we want to go as a church, how we want to influence our community over the coming uh, years. And we've been talking about this rhythm of living uh, uh, a rhythm of missional hospitality, inviting people into our homes and our lives that we don't necessarily uh, see each and every day in order to open and show the generous love of Christ. And so we've been hearing these calls on our Sundays to live on mission in that way. And what I think happens for a lot of us, me included, is we wake up on Monday morning and then life hits us, Right? Our job maybe doesn't feel as purpose we, we thought it ought to feel. And we begin to look around and all the responsibilities pile up, pile up. And whatever motivation I had to live mission on Sunday, now on Monday just seems to wane. And I, I just don't seem to have the same energy towards that. And what it begins to feel like is that the really, the, I can only live on mission if I'm in those high peaks of the Christian life. And since I find myself in the valley so often, I don't really feel like I can live on mission in the valley. And so what becomes pretty interesting is we, we reach these peaks and we see God and his grace and his love. And, but when we come down to the valley, which is a lot of the Christian life, we're thinking, how do I continue to move forward? And so, well, the good news for us last week as we began our look at Psalm 42 and 43 is those valleys that we feel we're not abnormal. That's the normal Christian life. This side of Jesus returning, there are lots of valleys that we go through. And so we want to learn how to face these valleys and still pursue the mission God has called us to go forward. And so Psalm 42 and 43 teaches how to process these valleys that we find ourselves in and what it looks like to persevere in them. So last week, what we looked at, the, the, the big picture of what we wanted to see was that walking with God in these valleys begins with processing our experience in his presence. And so the beautiful thing about Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, it gave us words to kind of express how we feel, oftentimes in the valley. And we, we saw these two images of unquenched thirst and waves crashing over us. That a lot of times in the Christian life, we can find ourselves on Monday morning feeling an unquenched thirst. Like, God, I want to know you, but I don't feel your presence. I want to understand more of your word, but it's just not gripping me at this moment, right? Or the waves of life, the wayward children, the struggles at work, the responsibilities and bills piling up, the sicknesses and illnesses. These waves just keep crashing over us. And the psalmist gave us freedom to express those before God. And what we saw in this psalm, the first step for us is just to go to God and be honest with him in prayer about what these valleys are like. And isn't that kind of God, instead of him pointing his finger at us and saying, what's your problem? Why aren't you persevering? He says, come to me and express to me what you feel, what you're experiencing. Even if those expressions seem a little hard to say, like, God, why have you rejected me? And then what the encouragement we saw is that Jesus would be singing and praying these very songs way before us. And the greatest encouragement that we left with yesterday, or last Sunday was this, is that uh, Jesus went through every valley that you will experience. He experienced to the exponential full. 
And in that, he encourages and gives us freedom to come before him. But the psalm also has something else to say about how to move forward in the valley, what it looks like to persevere. And so our big picture this week, which is on your, on your worship guide and here on the screen, is that persevering through the valley involves wrestling with ourselves and God as we fall forward. That perseverance in the valley involves us wrestling with ourselves and God as we fall forward. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and it's exciting to hear the work you're doing uh, all throughout the world and even how you're sending our own over there uh, to, to be a part of your mission and God about reaching the unreached and, and if they could sit here and tell us of all the valleys that their team and the followers of Jesus face in their country, it would overwhelm us. And then we look at our own valleys that we face and we wonder how in the world are we supposed to go forward with the mission you've given us? And the reality is, God, is that your people are gathering all over central Kentucky in churches that preach the gospel. And we're all bringing in different valleys that are hard and difficult. And God, we're even mindful that of the floods that have faced eastern Kentucky, the, the valleys that those folks are facing are deep and long. And Father, we saw last week that you want to meet us there, and you invite us to come to you. And Father, I ask that you would do something that I have no power to do this morning, and that's to make your word come alive to us. We need your Holy Spirit to come to meet each one of us where we are and teach us from the psalm how to interact with you in these valleys, how to move forward. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So little little introductory comment before we get into the meat of Psalm 42 and 43, and I think it's important for us to keep this in mind because I think the culture that we live in is that there are no formulas or cheat codes to get out of this valley. So up on the screen, uh, I'm not going to ask a raise of hands, but how many of y'all know what Contra is, right? If you played the Nintendo growing up, an awesome video game. But a lot of times we want life to work like math problems, uh, and that's the really only math formula I remember from any schooling in all of my life. And I don't think this is anything about my teachers. Uh, it just is everything about calculators. Um, but life isn't like a math problem. That if you get the formula right, everything's going to go okay. Right? The cheat code of Contra was a brilliant, uh, and actually the inventor of this cheat code just died, crazy enough. I just saw this online. But it was this crazy combination of up, up, down, down. Some of you could actually repeat it right now. And it gave you 30 lives, and the game was pretty much easy to beat after that. Right? And we want life to work that like that way. We want some kind of cheat code that's going to make these valleys a lot easier to get out of. And God has not made life like that. No matter what's, what book on the market tells you three steps to get out of this in your life, life is messy and hard and difficult. And we would be crazy to sit here and say, whatever valley you're in, I can give you a plan to get you out of there this week. That would be crazy. And that's not what God wants. And so I want to remind you of that. As we go through and even begin to look at some of the things that the psalmist is doing in this psalm, beware of thinking it is a three-step program, all right? Just my introductory comment. It's really important. This psalm is messy and back and forth. We're brought into the inner life of the psalmist, and our plan is to kind of bring our attention to see what we see the psalmist doing. And so the first big thing we see him doing is persevering through the valley involves wrestling with yourself. We see this, in, and there's a repeated phrase. It's repeated three times, and we have it, it, verse 5, 11, and 43, 5, all the same thing. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what's going on here? Well, the psalmist is questioning and exhorting himself, and he doesn't have some kind of weird disorder, right? This is legitimate inner talk happening within the life of the psalmist. And this is a big part of persevering through the valley. Why would I say that? Because it's repeated three times in these two psalms. He wants us to see it. He's seeing it. This is what's happening in his inner life. The psalm is, is, is repeats this questioning, exhorting himself three times. Why is it necessary? And I think it's necessary because what we often feel is real to us isn't always the most true thing in any given moment. So what might feel real to you isn't always what's most true at any given moment. Valleys can be very confusing. And what you see is always the true. And so if, you, if you're a hiker, if you like to go hiking, you may find that, um, that when you, if you're in a very densely wooded area and you go down to a valley and there's not some stream to follow, valleys can be really disorienting. You look around and begin to, I don't know what's, which I just know I came down. I don't necessarily know which way to go forward, backward, around, and you can easily get disoriented and lost. And it's a lot like that spiritually for us. So in one sense, what we looked at last week, there's a reason to feel cast down. The waves and the unquenched thirst are real. But from another perspective, the issue here that we see in the psalm is the, the idea of forgetting, that there's an unbelief in us. And that's why the psalmist exhorted himself. The waves feel real. The unquenched thirst feels real. Yet they can lead us to an interpretation that's faulty. Or maybe even completely wrong as we look around us. We conclude that the waves keep crashing and that must mean God is not at work. The waves keep crashing, we conclude that God really doesn't care. The waves keep crashing, we conclude that the situation we're in is never going to change. Those are the interpretations as we look upon life that, that we see around us. And I think it's far too easy to forget who God is for you, who we are before Him, what He's doing in the world. These waves that keep coming in life can feel a lot more true and real than God's sovereign control and love and goodness in your lives. I think about it this way. So uh, some of you have kids that you're trying to teach to swim right now. If you've had kids, you've, you've maybe have, have been a part of teaching them to swim or you kind of seen this happen at the pool. Uh, but getting a kid to jump from the side of the pool into the pool to the parent isn't always the easiest thing to do. You ought to think it ought to be that simple. And for some kids it is, but for a lot it's not that easy. And so the depth, the kids look at the depth of the water, they look at the, the potential, the, the, the pool, they look at all that's going around them, and what they conclude in that moment is that my, uh, those, those, the depth of the pool and what could happen to me, and I'm scared, feels a whole lot more real than the strength of my parent who's standing waist deep in water, right? at that given moment. And so no matter what the kid sees, what the kid feels in that moment is that I'm in danger, right? But the reality of the situation is much different. It doesn't dismiss that the child actually feels danger at hand and has this fear, but they make the interpretation that a waist deep water is too deep for me to jump into to my parents. You get what I'm saying here? You can see the contrast. And so what do most parents do at that point, right? They question, they remind, they exhort their kids. Hey, haven't I always caught you? Haven't I always kept you in my arms in the pool? Hey, do you think I, that look, look, look at me. Do you think I can hold you up? 
Do you think I'm going to be here when you jump off? Come, just jump to me. Trust me. Daddy or mommy will catch you. You know that, that scenario. That's, that's essentially what's happening inwardly in the psalmist's life here. He, what he feels about the waves and the conclusions he's making about life, that he's cast down and in turmoil, he's trying to question himself like a parent to remind himself of who God really is in this moment. That the interpretations and the conclusions he's made about life because of these waves aren't necessarily the most true thing happening. And that's what we see happening here. And so we've got to question ourselves in the conclusions we've made. Self, why do you think that God isn't at work? Self, why, how have you arrived at the conclusion that God doesn't care? What brought you to the place that you think the situation will never change? So there's a questioning inwardly that's happening in the psalmist's life. But we also see an exhorting that's taking place here to take hold of what's true and real in any given moment. We see this also in verses 5, 11, and 43, 5, but we also see in 42, 8. Let's look at it on the screen. We'll narrow in just on the exhortation where he tells himself, he's not telling you, he's telling himself this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. And then 42.8, that, that phrase, hope in God, is repeated three times. And then in 42.8, he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so what's happening here? Well, I, I think three things are happening. The psalmist was remembering who God is. I mean, that's part of what's happening. He can hold my hope. He's big enough to hold whatever I hope I have in life. He's big enough to hold that. That's what he's saying, hope in God. God can handle me in this moment. Hope in him, right? The psalmist was remembering who he is. He says his song is with me. He says his steadfast love is upon me. What's he doing there? Remembering who God is for him. God's song is with him. God's delight is with him. God's steadfast love is upon him. That's against every conclusions he's made in this moment as the waves are coming over him. So he questions himself on that and he exhorts himself to remember who God is for us. Think how beautiful that is. We think in the valley, God is frustrated with us because of the conclusions we've made about him. But look at the love of the Father. And he's saying, no, my song is with you. Not my disdain is with you. Not my frustration is with you. My song and steadfast love are with you. The conclusions you have made are wrong. I'm with you. And the psalmist is remembering what God is doing. That these circumstances aren't the end of the story. Look at the phrase here. This is important for us to get. For I shall again praise him. What's he doing there? He's not saying I'm praising you right now. I will one day. Meaning I'm remembering that this isn't the end of the story. That whatever is happening now isn't always going to be that way. Because there is a sovereign father at work in this moment. And we see him exhorting himself to that. And I want, you to, I want you to understand for us, when the psalmist wrote that, he didn't have the full revelation of the gospel at hand. So he's doing this looking back at really God's work in Israel, mainly the exodus and coming to these conclusions. Where we sit, this side of the cross, we don't just see the exodus, we see Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it is far more powerful. They have more punch to them. The gospel reminds us that our hope is not in a circumstance, but the finished work of Christ. It reminds us that we've been declared righteous in God's sight and adopted as his beloved child. So whatever distance we feel in the moment, we 
can never conclude that that is always how it will be. Because the Jesus who went before us and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so that you and I will never say that. He'll never forsake us. The gospel reminds us that even the darkest hour in this world was the hour before the resurrection when all hope fully seemed to be lost. And so we were reminded that the injustices we experience, the illnesses that set in, the wayward children that are around us, it can all feel so dark that God is left and it will never change. Surely that's what the disciples felt after the death of Jesus, not fully understanding what was going on. But we know the resurrection came. And we know that one day Jesus will return. And so whatever story we conclude as being written in our life, that is not the end. There's a sovereign Father who's writing something beautiful in our midst. And so I want us to remember, we're not bottling up what we're experiencing. The first step of the valley was to be honest with God. So I'm not, the psalmist doesn't first question and exhort. The psalmist first processes these experiences before God. The waves are real. We don't diminish that. But what we're doing here, what we see the psalmist doing is ensuring that these waves aren't leading him to false conclusions about who God is and what he's doing in the world. We're wrestling with and being sure that the conclusions we make in the valley are in line with the gospel. And then as we wrestle with ourselves in the valley, we also wrestle with God. And so let's look at that here. We persevere through the valley. involves wrestling with ourselves, but with God as well. And I'm going to put a little bit less emphasis here and a little less time not because this is unimportant, because the psalmist doesn't put as much emphasis and time in wrestling with God. And, but I want us to see that this wrestling with ourself isn't some philosophy of positive thinking, that if you just think the right thoughts about God and you just remind yourself of them, that everything's going to be okay. No, what we see here is that, is that our wrestling with ourself is done in dependence and trust that God will work through it. Uh, one of my favorite authors and ministry leaders over time has been a guy named Jerry Bridges. And he's got this kind of phrase of dependent discipline that you'll see on your screen there. But he says that we're not passively dependent, meaning we don't just sit back and think God is always going to move for us. We're not self-disciplined, meaning we don't act and exhort ourselves and we think it's all on us to get us out of the valley and understand at a heart level who God is for us in that moment. He says we strive for dependent discipline. That's what we say in the psalm. It's a dependent discipline. Look at verse 40, uh, Psalm 43, 1 and 3. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And so we see that the psalmist was disciplined to wrestle with the thoughts he had, but also dependent on God. It was an act of dependence. He prays for vindication here. He was being marginalized. He's not just reminded, hey, self, remember that God is with you. No, he's praying for God to bring justice to those around him. But we see, and I love this prayer, he prays for, to God to send out your light and your truth and to bring me to your holy hero, to your presence. So on one level, this is, this is very down to earth. Likely in any valley, there's going to be a real light and guidance you need from God. But I think the bigger picture of what's going on here is that we need the light and truth of God's countenance upon us. God's face and what he sees us and how he, in that moment, how he thinks about us. We need that to become more and more real to us. Because I'm convinced that in the valley, that if we're assured that as God looks upon us, he delights in us as his 
righteous, beloved, adopted children. There is no valley that we can't handle. There is nothing that we can't get through that that countenance of God's light and truth is enough for us. That if your valley is bills and money and there's no amount of money that will give you the relief that you truly need. You need His light and His presence with you. If your valley is a difficult job, there's no job change that will really give you what you ultimately need. It's His light and His truth. If your marriage, if your family is in a difficult place, there's no change within that family that will really give you what you ultimately need in that moment. It's His light and His truth and His presence with you. If we have that hope, we can hold up in any valley. And so we're wrestling with ourselves and we're asking God to make these truths come alive to us. So let's do this. Let me give you one kind of example that wraps this up, just a a kind of scenario, and then we'll have some concluding thoughts about where uh, this takes us. And so let's say you are coming in here and you get excited about this vision and where it's taking us, but the reality is that you wake up on Monday morning and that there's just a dryness that has persisted in your life for a season where reading the Bible is a duty, not very exciting. As a matter of fact, you're dealing with some, some difficulties in your family that you just can't seem to wade through or know how to get out of. And every time you even think about inviting someone into your home or trying to set up something with a coworker, another little argument breaks out in your home or more responsibilities pile up. And you just don't know what to do with it. So you just walk out discouraged. And this is just life. And what Psalm 42 and 43 is inviting you into is to join your Savior in singing a different song, right? And to coming before God and being honest about where you are. That's what we talked about last week. So it's God. It's like, why is, why is it here? Why, don't you want to meet with me? Don't you want your word to come alive? Why is it dry to me? I've been praying for my family for a long time. I've been praying for help and strengthening these responsibilities and it just doesn't seem like you care or that you're going to do anything. We can say that before God. Do you understand that? Jesus has purchased that kind of freedom for you. But we don't stop there. We keep moving on and we begin to question ourselves. Self, why do you think that God doesn't love you just because you haven't felt something reading the Bible over the past month? Why do you conclude that he's not at work in the world because your family life's been difficult for a season? Why do you conclude that I can't work even when responsibilities are piling up in your life? Self, would you hope in God? Would you remember that he's been at work a long time? before my problems ever entered this world. Self, would you look and hope in a God who, if I read the Bible, I see a lot of broken families throughout history that he continues to work through and bring change in. Self, would you be reminded that it's been 2,000 years since Jesus returned and he's still doing his thing? Self, would you remember that when Jesus said on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me, that he really embraced something of God's wrath that I never will. And so whatever I feel in the moment is only for a moment because he's going to return one time and I will be face to face with the God who loves me and there will be no more lack of faith or sin that will keep me from experiencing what I'm meant to experience. And you begin to put your, the, the, to focus your hope there. You begin to ask God, give me a sense, a little bit more of a taste of your love when I read your word this week. Would you help me to open doors to move forward? And I share that with you 
It's not a one-time formula prayer three-step thing. Notice the psalmist was repeating this pattern three times. And three times isn't the magic number. It just is messy. There's no formula or cheat code here. But we see the psalmist goes and processes and wrestles, but we also see him falling forward. And so I want to to finish here. Where do we go from here this morning? And I think that persevering can often look like falling forward. And what I mean by that is we can't wait for the calm waters of those peaks in the Christian life to live on mission. We just can't wait for them. They're rare. Our call to live on mission is in the midst of these troubled waters, these waves crashing down. And I want to offer you maybe a different perspective, is that maybe our valleys are one of the very things that actually equips us for the mission. Maybe they are. Everyone in your sphere of influence where God's placed you, where you live, work, and play, they encounter valleys just like you do, right? And maybe, what if it's actually while you're in your valley that you begin to find that the people around you are in similar valleys? Maybe when you're actually in your valley, you're brought to a place where you, act, you can actually hear the pain of others and validate that pain before you preach at them. Maybe it's actually in that valley where you're experiencing with little taste more of the hope we have in Christ that you actually feel empowered to help push someone else to that very same hope. And so the different perspective is here. Maybe we think that we've got to have calm waters, peaks of the Christian life to live out this mission. And God is saying, one of the things I hope you see is it's actually in the valley that I'm equipping you for the very mission I'm calling you to. And that's what we see, I believe, going on here. And I don't want to be too general. I do want to challenge us, though, to find ways to fall forward in this mission that God's given us, even in the valleys. There are times in the Christian life where we're in the ICU, in a sense, and and we're on life support, and that's a season. But the vast majority of the Christian life, I think, are valleys that we enter that God is calling us to persevere in while we live on mission with him. And to fall forward. And so that means taking baby steps and beginning with prayer and setting simple goals and falling forward. So that's, that's one kind of offer perspective as you leave. But the other one is this, is to walk with others as you fall forward. That to do these valleys in community. And so I'm, if I'm honest here, you know, I want to preach the word to you. That's not in Psalm 42 and 43. There's no command for you to be in this valley with another person. But I do want to step back and the psalmist wrote this psalm that would be sung amongst God's people in the temple. What's going on there? The psalmist is inviting all of us to point to our own lives and say, I've been here, I am here, to do this corporately together, right? But then we also see all throughout the Christian, the the Bible, that God is inviting us in. No one can rescue us from the valley but Jesus, but we sure can walk with one another there, right? So I want to finish with Hebrews 12, one through two. In one way, you can look at the book of the Hebrews and the whole book is about how do you persevere when you're being marginalized and there's a lot of pressures to turn from the hope of the gospel. And what do we see here in verse, verses one and two of chapters 12? Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Notice the use of the word us in this passage. The writer of Hebrews is wanting us to see that we are in it together. He doesn't say you. He says us. The expectation is that we're in this together. That many have gone before us to live out this face, and we're called to endure together. This is a corporate command to us. And the beautiful, most beautiful picture here, though, is that Jesus walks with us in this. There's no valley that he hasn't gone through. He is the model of persevering. And we, in a sense, as a body, are to walk together with one another in these valleys, following Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. His valley was the cross. That is a valley that you and I will never have to endure. He was truly forsaken by the Father, so that you and I won't. And he is even going and working and bringing together people who are in valleys all over the world to say, walk with one another there. I'm saving a people who this, in this side of the Christian life, it will be hard and difficult. But when I return, the joy that was set before me, you will now experience it in full. Walk with together now, wrestling with God, wrestling with yourself. Fall forward and know that I've gone before you. Grace Church, that's our hope as we walk out of here this morning. Let's pray. Father, the, uh, in one level, as I even say the word valley, it, it, it diminishes what those experiences are really like because the fact is, is that the, the heartbreaking tragedies and challenges that each of us are facing in this room would overwhelm us if we just thought about them all together at once. But to know that you sent your son in this world to experience those valleys to the fullest, that we may walk through them is a joy. And God, so what I ask you to do is there is no quick way out of the difficulties we are in, and yet you still call us to move forward on mission together. I pray, God, that you would teach us what it looks like to wrestle with ourselves, to wrestle with you, and to do this together. And so for some that may not have been honest with you ever before about the valley's experience, would you prompt them to have that freedom and encouragement to do so? For those that are in the valley but are just have succumbed and make conclusions about these waves that have just trashed their life, that that aren't true, God, I pray that you would help them begin to wrestle with themselves and wrestle with you. And would you teach us how to do this together and to fall forward? If those who are, who are in valleys but find themselves alone because you're not with them, because they don't know you, God, I pray they would, that that valley would lead them to you to see that you've been pursuing them. And so meet us here, God. We need you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Because people find themselves in valley.